Hello and welcome to H2Omics, the Carlson's podcast that gives you insight into the smart irrigation and sustainability world. I'm Carolina Alban Stoughton. Carlson's recently launched Irrigation Management as a Service, a unique approach to irrigation management that eliminates the need for customers to secure capital funds to purchase smart irrigation controllers, sensors, and our software. Our guest today is Calson's Director of Commercial Operations, Mike Halding. Mike joined Calson's in July of 2021, but he has been promoting the as-a-service model since the late 2000s. Prior to Calson's, Mike launched an as-a-service offering for municipal customers in the area of traffic management. He championed bringing irrigation management as a service to life to make water conservation a reality to those organizations that haven't had easy access to smart irrigation solutions before. Welcome, Mike. I'm so excited to have you as our first guest in the H2OMIC podcast. Thanks, Carolina. It's great to be here. So for those who are new to the smart irrigation world, tell us about Calson's impact when it comes to irrigation management. Sure. So Calson's has been with us for just over 35 years, actually. So going all the way back to 1986. And during that time, the first innovation was a moisture sensor with the idea being that we could measure the moisture content in the soil and then that could impact um, the type of irrigation that was necessary that night, the next day, et cetera. Um, and the thinking behind that was that that would help us to conserve water because at that time, most of the controllers that were out on the marketplace um, were simply time-based. So you would set your controller for a specific time at a specific um, date, um, and then it would go for the duration of whatever you set. And there really wasn't any intelligence in it at all. It wasn't based on the needs of the soil or the plants. It was just simply based on a clock. And so we've gone from that to smart irrigation controllers, which essentially takes inputs from things like moisture sensors, but also weather data um, and other types of peripherals that are able to provide inputs that would be important for determining uh, when and where the watering should happen. And uh, that's for both the benefit of the, the plant life that you're trying to keep irrigated, uh, as well as the environment in terms of trying to conserve water. And I guess all of this is now available as a service. Tell me a little bit about what is irrigation management as a service or, or what it's being called as well, IMAS. Back at the end of February, we launched irrigation management as a service, or as you said, it's it's dubbed IMAS. And this is really meant to be a turnkey solution that gives customers the ability to have access to all of the hardware, software, upfront services and ongoing services that might be necessary to put a smart irrigation controller or set of controllers into place. And the idea behind it is that we can make it available without the need for capital dollars. And what that means is that customers that maybe didn't have access to those capital dollars in the past can do it with operating dollars instead. And the thinking is that with the savings that come as a result of using less water and better utilizing labor, um, those savings can be used to help fund the actual subscription for irrigation management as a service. And so what that allows is for them to have access to all the technology they need up front and therefore get all the benefit associated with the solution up front, as opposed to having to wait for the capital dollars to be available. So in many cases, what happens is a municipality 
will get funding one year at a time, maybe over a 10 year period. And, you know, after five years, 10 years, whatever that time frame is, they ultimately have the solution in place and the full value being recognized. Uh, but the problem is that they, they, they only get the value one, one tenth at a time. Let's just say that it's a 10 year horizon. They get a tenth of the value in year one, they get two tenths of the value in year two, three tenths in year three, and so on. What this allows them to do is to take full value up front and, uh, and, and enjoy all the, the benefits that come as a result of having uh, the solution available now as opposed to phased in over time. Yeah, I mean, sounds great. I, I was going to ask, so why was irrigation management as a service developed? Give me a little bit of context, perhaps, or trends that have allowed for the solution to come to life. So the, the primary reason that it was developed was simply to give access to irrigation, uh, smart irrigation controllers and, and related peripherals uh, to a broader set of customers. So as I started to explain a little bit earlier, Capital budgets are what they are that, you know, that's how a lot of cap capital projects get funded in cities and in school districts, university campuses at the state level, uh, et cetera. And our thinking was that we wanted to make this technology as available as we could be to as many customers as possible, because right now is the time to to conserve. I mean, you know, climate change is what it is. It's causing the droughts that we're seeing in the West and elsewhere. And we felt like we needed to get this technology out there as much as possible as quickly as possible. And so this was one way to do it. So as opposed to having our customers be reliant on those capital budgets that, you know, typically roll projects out over years as opposed to months, um, this was a way for us to make everything available up front to give them the full value of, of what they're wanting to put into place in year one as opposed to having to wait for three years, five years, 10 years, and to do it in a way that they could afford um, you know, from the standpoint of their, their budget overall. So what happens here is that the funds used typically to pay for an as-a-service offering come out of the operating budget. And the idea is to say, let's put in place a solution that is going to save us dollars from the standpoint of water and the conservation that this kind of a solution enables, as well as labor and making that labor more efficient. So the idea is to take those savings and apply them toward the subscription fee uh, that happens each year to, to put the system in place and, and still have access to everything now as opposed to three years, five years, 10 years down the road. In that case, which customers, which type of customers do you think are best suited for, for IMS? Well, it's, you know, it was meant to be a broad appeal type of solution. Having said that, clearly customers that are, are struggling with capital budgets um, and the ability to do projects like this would be a primary target, um, but it's really any customer that has conservation needs that um, that wants to look and, and think differently about the way that they actually deploy uh, those types of solutions. So, you know, it, it's there's a financing piece to it. And at the same time, you know, we think that it's probably uh, most understood, at least for now, by customers that are used to buying things as a service. Um, and there are many examples of that. It could be software as a service or it could be you know, things like data plans for cell modems and that type of thing. Um, and uh, and lots of other examples like access to, you know, Microsoft Office 365 and, and so mm -hmm. forth. Lots of ways that uh, organizations are doing this today. And it's, uh, it, it's you know, it's, it's just simply meant to make it more accessible based on what's been out there in the past. Now, you mentioned financing. So uh, I think it's important to clarify if IMAS is in fact financing. 
No, it's not financing. It's it's really meant to be. It's an as a service offering that has a subscription fee tied to it. So the idea is not that um, you know we're not uh, setting up a situation where it's you know similar to like a capital lease where you know you make ten payments and then you buy it for a dollar at the end or anything like that. That's not what this is. This is this is a service um, that just happens to include hardware, software. And all the services that I mentioned earlier, both upfront and ongoing, um, all packaged together in a way that makes it available to the customer uh, in the form of a uh, subscription payment. So how, how does a customer pay to get IMS? Typically what happens is once we have the solution scoped and priced and contracted, um, we, would, we would then deploy it and we have a whole process for how we do that, including the assignment of a project manager uh, who works with uh, the project manager on the customer side, there's an implementation process that includes installation of hardware, configuration of the system, deployment of the software, et cetera. Once all that's done, we go live and that includes training and making sure that the system is doing everything that it's supposed to do. And then we would bill the customer for the first year. And typically that's paid one year in advance. That would be the point at which the clock starts. And you know, typically these contracts are 10 years long and so it would be one of 10 payments that would happen at the at the point of having the system up and running so can an organization subscribe to the equipment only without any additional services sure it, the idea behind this is that we will include or not include you know whichever services are are uh, are most important to the customer so it can it can be just a hardware solution or it can be a combination of hardware software and services um, in most cases, it'll at least be the hardware and the software because the software is what allows the system to be managed from a remote location. But in many cases, it will include services as well. But we design the services so that they're they're piecemeal. They can they can either choose to opt in or opt out of the services, both on the upfront side as well as on the ongoing side. And the idea behind that is to say that you know different organizations have different levels of staffing, and our intent is to complement their current staffs as opposed to uh, being redundant in any way. So they may say to us, hey, we have installation taken care of. Our, our folks can do that. Or maybe, you know, we have a different contractor that does that type of work for us. You know, we'll handle that part, but we want you to configure the system. We want you to provide um, any break fix work that might be available in the in the future. So if, if something needs to be done on site, we'd like you to come out and do that. So we would include that service. Um, and, you know, there, there are probably a dozen different services that they can pick and choose from, again, depending on what they want to do internally versus uh, what they want us to do. In an ever-changing world, how are expansions to IMAS handled as it relates to the terms of services or contracts? Well, there's a, a master services agreement that gets put into place, which is very typical for this type of an offering um, at the time of, of sale. So once that's done, then that's what kicks off the project and leads to the implementation that I spoke of earlier. At some point in the future, if they wish to expand, it's pretty simple. It's a, a simple amendment to that master services agreement that uh, that would summarize what it is we're adding and it would reprice the system based on that. And then that would become a part of the legal documentation that uh, represents the agreement between the two parties, ourselves and, and, our, uh, and our customer. What about those alerts and reports that are so important uh, to the customers? How often will reports be provided to the customers? That's configurable. 
However, we're thinking that once per month is probably appropriate on the reporting side. And but again, that can be once per week or it can be once every couple of months. Um, and the reports themselves can, are, are pretty configurable as well. So in terms of what types of information would be in the reports, that's part of the discussion that we'll have early on uh, in the engagement as we're scoping out the project and, and that type of thing. The alerting is something that typically happens every day. Usually we fire off alerts, you know, very early in the morning. And um, you're probably going to ask me, you know, which which people those alerts go to. Yeah, <laughs> certainly they would come to CalSense because, you know, in the end, we've got some role, if not a, a very big role in terms of keeping the system up and running, um, but also to the customer and maybe even some of their contractors who may need to be in the know uh, in terms of what's happening with the system. So, for example, if if there was an alert that had to do with the mainline break, you know, we would certainly want to know about that, and our system would typically shut the system down at the point of, um, you know, knowing that there's a break. We would shut the mainline valve off if that were uh, an option that we're contracted for. And at the same time, the people that uh, are responsible for the health of that mainline would want to know that as well. So let's just say that, you know, for example, we're we're talking about a school district, and you know, maybe there's nobody there over the weekend, but the line bursts over the weekend. And, uh, you know, certainly the, the person responsible for that would want to get a text so that if nothing else, they knew come Monday morning, they were going to have to come and deal with a line that had burst, you know, albeit, you know, having been shut off over the weekend, but still it's going to have to be repaired. And so mm -hmm. they would want that alert sooner than later. And we would want it as soon as we, we knew that it happened so that we could shut the valve down. But again, I'm saying that we're going to be shutting things down. That's all handled in an automated way based on how the, the mm -hmm. control for itself is configured. So, so what are the results that you're hoping for now that CalSense is offering this solution? Well, my hope would be that that more organizations, significantly more organizations um, that would otherwise be the case, can now put themselves in a position financially to be able to put this kind of a solution in place and to do it in a holistic way up front as opposed to having to wait for years as capital budgets get renewed and they're able to do, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, et cetera. Again, it's fair to say that with climate change and the severe droughts that we're seeing in the West and elsewhere, that the time is now to make positive change. This is our way of trying to make what we think the, the right solution is much more accessible to, to the customers that need them, need the solution and, and need the, the things that we sell, whether it be the hardware, the software, or the services. And, you know, we hope the customers see it the same way. It's it's a unique approach to the market for sure. Um, but at the same time, it's part of a bigger macro trend in terms of how these types of offerings are, are being made available to the uh, the market as a whole. So where can people go if they want to find out more about IMAS? Well, they can talk to any of our salespeople or any of the regional um, account managers. They can talk to me if they'd like to contact me directly. Or certainly they can go to the website, calsons.com slash IMAS, I-M-A-A-S. Fantastic. Well, Mike, we know how busy you are, especially now that we're in the middle of Smart Irrigation Month. So we truly appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Mike Halding, Director of Commercial Operations at Calsons, who was behind the development and launch of Irrigation Management as a Service. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to listen to other episodes, visit calsense.com slash podcast 
or search for H2Omics on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, I'm Carolina Alban-Stoughton.